All right. Hi, I'm David Feldman, and this is the mop-up for March 30th, 2023. Donald Trump, after becoming the first president ever to be impeached twice, now becomes the first president in American history to be criminally indicted. All I can say is it's about time. It's about time Trump was indicted, and it's about time we here in America started indicting our presidents. The indictment is said to have caught Trump by surprise in what seemed like a feint and then a misdirection. It was announced just yesterday that the Manhattan grand jury looking into Donald Trump's hush payment scheme to silence porn star Stormy Daniels was taking a month off. Nobody was expecting an indictment today. Trump even announced earlier this week that no charges were going to be filed from the Manhattan D.A., Adding to the shock of tonight's indictment was Alvin Bragg. He's the Manhattan DA. Adding to the shock of all this was that Alvin Bragg announced earlier this morning that he was expanding the scope of his investigation to look into Trump's attempts to silence another woman that Trump reportedly had sex with. The implication behind all of this was more work had to be done before an indictment was handed down. But surprise, surprise, prosecutors filed the indictment at around 5 p.m. Eastern on Thursday evening, roughly three hours after the grand jury began meeting again. We thought they were on a, a vacation for a month. The Manhattan DA is reportedly negotiating right now with the Secret Service on the logistics of bringing Donald Trump into a New York state courthouse where Trump will be ah, fingerprinted. And of course, a mugshot will be taken. Let me just say that again. Donald Trump will be fingerprinted and a mugshot will be taken. At this point, the indictment is sealed. So we have no idea what the former president has been charged with. But we are almost certain it will revolve around falsifying business records to hide fixer Michael Cohen's payment of roughly $130,000 back in 2016, weeks before the presidential election, roughly $130,000 to buy the silence of porn star Stormy Daniels. Falsifying business records is said to be a charge that can stick. The Manhattan DA has won countless convictions on that one in the past year. Some say that if Bragg, however, tries to tie Trump to a campaign finance violation, where the hush money is seen as an illegal campaign contribution, well, then Bragg could be attempting to prosecute Trump on charges that could be thrown out of court by a judge more sympathetic to Donald Trump. With several criminal indictments now pending in Fulton County, Georgia, perhaps, and Washington, D.C., Manhattan DA Alvin Bragg has become the first prosecutor to come forward with an actual indictment, indictment of Donald Trump or any president in American history. Now, according to the New York Times, Trump could only be barred from running for office had he been convicted in one of his two impeachment trials, and he was not convicted. He has declared his candidacy. He's running for president in 2024. The Times also says that Texas Governor Rick Perry ran for president in 2016, having been indicted for abuse of power 
down in Texas. And in 1920, as most of my listeners already know, socialist Eugene Debs, serving time for violating the Espionage Act, ran for president from jail. It is our Justice Department's official policy not to offer up a criminal, a criminal indictment of a sitting president. The Supreme Court ruled in the Bill Clinton-Paula Jones trial, however, that a sitting president can be tried in a civil court. Donald Trump is not a sitting president, so he is open for a criminal indictment as well as several civil lawsuits that are now pending. For more on this, we are joined by the Reverend Barry W. Lynn, whose new book, Paid to Piss People Off, will be released on April Fool's Day. The Reverend Barry W. Lynn is a lawyer, a member of the Supreme Court Bar, as well as an ordained minister in the United Church of Christ. For nearly a quarter of a century, the Reverend Barry W. Lynn ran Americans United for separation of church and state. He joins us today from Massachusetts. Hello, Reverend. Hello. Nice to be back with you. Were you surprised that Trump was indicted today? I really was not surprised by it, although there was certainly the evidence that you presented of Bragg making an announcement that he might be considering a second woman who may have been given uh, hush money. And presumably that's the, the playboy playmate who has said that she too had sex with Donald Trump. But it's not surprising because you want to get this information out. You want it to be a surprise because you don't want people waiting around for a day or two days planning what they're going to do to respond to it. And I think it's more to make this difficult to organize around than anything else that they, they were kind of playing footsie about this until it actually happened. Right. So there are two, we don't really know what he's been indicted for, correct? That's correct. And he will appear. I'd be very surprised if his lawyers who are, you know, better lawyers, arguably than the ones he's had in the past, would not have already worked out exactly what will happen Tuesday or Wednesday of next week when he shows up in New York and is, as you noted, fingerprinted, a mugshot taken and presumably bail set. Right. Now, we're getting reports. I don't know if you heard. Governor Ron DeSantis of Florida, where Donald Trump makes his home over at Mar-a-Lago, we're getting reports that if Trump doesn't volunteer uh, to surrender, uh, Ron DeSantis says he will not cooperate uh, with an extradition request. And that would be in direct violation of the Constitution. Isn't he obligated? Ron DeSantis is a I think he's a Harvard Law School graduate. Yeah, so, he is. Well, so then he probably doesn't know about Article 4, Section 2 of the Constitution. <laughs> no. Uh, no, that whole thing about – and I don't think he really – it's hard for me and I think for many people to believe that Ron DeSantis you know, went anywhere beyond maybe middle school. But <laughs> the truth is he knows enough – he should know enough, and he certainly cannot be serious that he would not uh, 
Well, we're just getting uh, word that Ron, Ron DeSantis, DeSantis has just banned the U.S. Constitution in Florida. That's the <laughs> latest book to be banned. What happens if 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 the governor of Florida hypothetically refuses to cooperate with the Manhattan D.A.? The man, then New York goes down to Florida and grabs him. But that I mean, that that yes. could. Is that how it works? That is what would happen in this unlikely scenario. I don't think that's going to happen because I think Donald Trump, above all other interests now, is how can I use this with that 30 percent of Republicans who want me in power again? Because in the event that he doesn't end up being indicted or he doesn't show up on his own volition, uh, he, he loses the ability to say, I've always been telling the truth. Stormy Daniel, I never even heard of her. And um, he loses all that if he fights a truly no-win uh, proposition of simply saying, I refuse to leave Mar-a-Lago. Come in, you know, with the weapons like this is Waco. Or Scarface. Or Scarface, yeah. which I haven't seen for many, many years. I should watch it again. I'm hoping it's more of a, scar, a Scarface situation. <laughs> a man can pray, right, I can Reverend? See yes, you can, you can absolutely do that. Yeah, what kind of, this, go ahead. No, I mean, ever since this indictment came down and started to hit the wire services around 5 o'clock Eastern, um, Everybody that talks about it, whether they're on CNN or the Fox News channel, they always talk about how this is unprecedented. That means absolutely nothing in a court of law, even if it was uniquely unprecedented, it would still have no meaning. It's historical. That's all it is. It has no implications at all in the treatment or the likely a journey of this indictment. So what can the Republicans actually do to protect Donald Trump? First of all, do you think they really want to protect him? Do you think Ron DeSantis isn't, is he, is Ron DeSantis happy that Trump has been well, indicted? I, no, I don't think so. He shouldn't be because uh, in fact, no Republican who has an interest in running during the Republican primary, has an interest in preserving this character, Donald Trump. Because if he has 30% of the votes in primaries, and we know that his supporters are, shall we say, more fully supportive than the supporters of most other candidates, he won't, he will do so well in so many Republican primaries that their shots of a DeSantis, of a Montpom uh, Papeo of Chris Christie declines precipitously. The best thing for them is for Donald Trump somehow to end up going away. If he is emboldened and the supporters are emboldened by what happens in this when this grand jury venture eventually gets started. By the way, it doesn't start the next day. It could be months and months before any legal proceedings occur. Donald Trump's lawyers will spend a lot of time with all kinds of motions. 
Uh, they will they will move for summary judgment, which means that we'll file some papers, and then the judge will look at the papers and say, "Well, you don't really have a case." So, um, in summary judgment, happen. summary judgment would be ruling in favor of Trump, saying, for example, the indictment over the payment to Stormy Daniels being an, a contribution in kind. It's not an illegal yeah. campaign contribution. I'm throwing this charge out. That would be a judge would do that, that would, in a summary judgment. Not necessarily, but Could certainly a judge would have the power to do that. But this idea that um, this is terribly difficult prosecution to make, I, I am not sure that I'm quite sure I don't agree with that because we have to remember what this is. In New York, there is no state law that says you can't pay someone to be some money to anyone to not tell someone else about anything, not even a crime. But if you indict for the misdemeanor of falsifying business records, which, as you pointed out, the district attorney is really good at that. It is generally speaking only a misdemeanor, right. only a misdemeanor in order to make it a felony for this uh, fail, filing false records. You have to link it to something else. So you have to prove to the jury or first to the judge and then to the jury that the payment of one hundred thirty thousand dollars should be viewed as an improper donation to Trump's presidential campaign. And this is where a lot of commentators say, well, that's going to be very difficult to prove. I don't think so, because I think if you have evidence from people, not just Michael Cohen, who is a somewhat flawed witness, but I get to that in a minute. But if there's evidence that Donald Trump knew how damaging this would be, not just for his relationship with Melania, because there's a lot of reports that she already knew about this. But what about for his supporters? I think most of us remember when the famous Access Hollywood tape came out and Trump is there talking about grabbing women by the peas. And uh, watch it there, Reverend. That, that would. Yeah. Well, that's why I didn't want to get too graphic, okay. but. No, so, Dang, for one so that's I never a, have the reverend it, on it. It's it's very it's very difficult uh, to to shock me. Right. But here's here's what's going to happen. That he could get away with because, as many religious right leaders said at the time, Donald Trump, you know, he's not running to be the pastor of our church. Uh, this this may have been a failing, but it was a long time ago. This is much more difficult to explain away by any corruption of Christian theology. And I think Trump knew that. And Trump thought if this all comes out a matter of weeks before the election, this, my good Christian supporters, will not accept. And this, it could cost me the election. If they can demonstrate that that's a fear that he had, then this paying of the hush money has a major impact on election laws. And these, remember, are not federal election laws. These are state election laws. And um, 
I think that uh, a jury in New York would be much more likely to successfully convict if they can find evidence that he knew that disclosure of the Stormy Daniels situation would crater his candidacy in the last few weeks. Interesting thing about jurisdiction that I found confusing. It is a a federal election. He's running for president, and yet campaign contributions to a presidential campaign can fall under the jurisdiction of the Manhattan DA because the crime took place in Manhattan. Yeah, that's correct. And I mean, we thought that was the case during the famous Al Gore, uh, George Bush uh, conflagration. Everybody that thought they had read the Constitution thought the state law in Florida was what should ultimately govern. But if at the last minute, when it gets to the Supreme Court, all of a sudden they have federalized what should have been a state law matter. And now the question is, what, what if any, effect would have this have on the, on the Trump situation? But I think he is, uh, Bragg has a, as a DA, has a complete authority to treat this and it should be treated as a state offense, looking at the elements that you have to prove for a conviction in the state of New York. Okay. I don't mean to belabor this, but he, it, it, in my estimation, not knowing anything, he broke a federal law, a federal campaign finance law that, that Merrick Garland decided not to prosecute Trump for. I'm surprised that a Manhattan DA can prosecute a president using a federal law. Can you? No. Well, no. My my understanding is the most likely thing is that there is this law, a state law I in see. the state of New York. Most states don't have them that reflects upon the way in which contributions can be made in any campaign that's occurring in the state of New York. I see. I see. So, by the way, we don't know yet. I don't think I have. I'm looking at the the proverbial wire. We don't know what the charges are. I, I'd like to think, since I'm rooting for Alvin Bragg, Manhattan DA, that he's going to surprise us. That he, I, he, he certainly surprised me today. I didn't think an indictment would be coming down for at least another month. Is this perhaps part of a larger case that the Attorney General, Letitia James, is prosecuting statewide? Falsifying business it, records could, getting him under oath on falsifying business yep. records could assist the Attorney General in her civil lawsuit against Trump, the way he inflated what he was worth when he was looking for a loan and then deflated what he was worth when he was paying his taxes. Right. Yeah, it's possible. But in, in that civil case you're talking about, I, I don't believe he's a defendant in any of the counts in that case. The corporations are, but I don't think Donald Trump personally is has been charged with any civil or criminal violation by Letitia James. Right. I don't think so. I don't know. Um, so, yeah, I think the bigger question is whether there's been any kind of collaboration between the Justice Department, the Georgia 
judiciary and uh, and Merrick Garland over the evidence in this case. The Justice Department says unequivocally, we did not do that. We have never shared evidence nor received evidence from the district attorney in Manhattan. And I kind of believe that to be the case. I don't think there's been this collusion at all. And I think it just means whatever Mr. Bragg has on Donald Trump uh, is probably all he's going to get. He is not going to be able to take some kind of evidence from another proceeding and piggyback it on on what's going on in the next few months or years Right in this it's it's my understanding that this was a special grand jury. This investigation has been going on for five years. I think there are twenty three people yeah. s- sitting on that jury. I I don't know if they've been sitting. I don't know how long they've been sitting there. Does what is the protocol? Does the Manhattan DA is he allowed to ignore a grand jury's indictment? Does he go before the grand jury and ask for the indictment? Do, does he ask for the vote? How how does that work? I know you're a member well, of the Supreme Court bar and you're yeah. an attorney. This may be a little too but deep into uh, it, Manhattan uh, Manhattan's legal system. Yeah, I'm not sure that I know, but I can I can do what most people do on CNN. It's speculate. Right. It, you're right. It's a 23 member uh, grand jury, and unlike many states, the only thing you need in order to indict in New York is to have 12 members of that 23-member grand jury. And in fact, you have to have only 16 of the 23 people physically present to hear evidence. In other words, that becomes the quorum for the continuation of work by the grand jury. In other states, uh, you've got to get near unanimity, uh, but in New York, it's 12 out of 23. Right. What powers do the Republicans in Washington, D.C. have to disrupt this case? I know that the horrible, execrable, I don't know if I pronounced it, execrable <laughs> properly, but uh, Jim yep. Jordan, who is chairman yep. of the House Judiciary Committee, he has yep. threatened to drag Manhattan D.A. Alvin Bragg before his committee. Has that ever mm-hmm. happened before? And I, I don't think it's ever happened. And Jim Jordan, who I testified before many, many times when he was not the chairman, when Jerry Nadler was the chairman, and uh, he was a, a doofus. I mean, the guy really didn't understand anything. It almost makes you believe that he maybe didn't know that his wrestlers uh, were being sexually abused by a doctor while he was the coach of the wrestling team. I mean, maybe he's so he's kind of dead that he didn't even notice that. But seriously, he's he running. He ran a committee hearing today, in which he had two witnesses uh, favorable to the position that he was holding on on an issue I've already forgotten. The Democrats he then dismissed them. Democrats objected and said, wait a minute, we get a chance to also ask questions of these witnesses. And Jordan basically said, "Uh, no, you don't. And then they yelled at each other for a while. And then he just gaveled the committee hearing 
to an end. Right. He will do anything. Will he try this? Of course he will. Is he going to be successful? Almost every time Jim Jordan, since the Republicans took over the Congress yeah. or the House, almost every time he's gone on Fox and they ask him, what are you going to do tomorrow? And he said, it's going to be powerful testimony. Right. It's never powerful testimony, right. but he's going to continue to do it because Jim Jordan represents a district in Ohio that literally, I mean, I don't, there must be Democrats who live there, but not very many. I mean, he is one of the safest Republican seats in Congress. Right. Last question. And then I want to bring up your book and the special office hours right. book club event that we're doing Friday night. So, as I said at the top of this segment, Governor Ron DeSantis has said he will not cooperate with the Manhattan DA. So, what happens if Donald Trump resists arrest? What is the role that the Secret Service plays in all this? We're in uncharted territory. There's never been a president before who's been indicted criminally and the secret service is supposed to protect his body, but are they supposed to, are they constitutionally bound to protect him from being arrested by? No. Do they cooperate with the Manhattan DA? What are, what is their obligation? I would, I, I would think that their obligation is in fact to cooperate with whatever law enforcement authorities are sent by the DA in Manhattan down to Florida if it comes to that. I personally do not think it will come to that because, as I mentioned earlier, I think Donald Trump wants his followers to see him being, see his mugshot, see him walk in, perhaps saying a few words about the witch hunt again. He thinks that it will raise him vast amounts of money, and I don't think he's wrong. I think the best thing for fundraising Leave Florida, walk in, make a comment before you get into the courtroom and afterwards, and just hope those 30% of people that supported you yesterday will still support you on Tuesday or Wednesday Wednesday of next week when all this happens. The Reverend Barry W. Lynn, you, for nearly a quarter of a century, ran Americans United for Separation of Church and State. You have been battling the evangelicals in this country uh, since you graduated from law school. So that's true. If Donald Trump had called you in 2016 and said, Reverend, you know the evangelicals, you're you know Graham and Falwell and all the other son, all the other sons of God. Uh, <laughs> I, I've mm-hmm. got this uh, porn star who I had sex with. I, yep. I can't lose my evangelical base. Am yep. I going to lose them? Should I pay her the 130? I, I hope I'm getting the number right, but should I pay her $130,000? Or do you think the evangelicals will, will forgive me? Because they would, I mean, looking back, they would have forgiven him, right? Yeah. No, I'm not so sure of that. I think there's a distinction between forgiving him for making his comments about women's genitals but I don't think that would translate into them forgiving him for his conduct with Stormy Daniels. But looking really back, but, but Reverend, Reverend, yeah. not to, I don't mean to be rude, but 
<laughs> he has not lost the evangelical base. Has uh, maybe a little. I mean, no matter what he does, they seem to stick with him. I think though there is, first of all, um, as a Protestant, uh, if he wanted to be forgiven, uh, what he should do and should have done, if he thought this was going to lose votes, which he didn't, would be to, to publicly do what Jimmy Swigert, the evangelist, caught with a hooker in a Louisiana hotel room. He he would have done what what that evangelical pastor did the first time he was caught, cry, plead for forgiveness. What Jimmy Swagger did not do the second time, he shut up. He said, I'm not, gonna, I'm not doing any press conferences. I'm not crying again. And that's when Swagger started to lose real support. This is not the kind of, the woman wrote an entire book about this. If you're a Catholic, Roman Catholic in this country, and you fall short of what you should be doing, it's okay to go to the local priest or the bishop of your jurisdiction and say you're sorry to him. That's all that Catholics expect. But for Protestants, they expect you to go down, grovel, plead, weep before they'll forgive you. But then they often do. And I think this Whatever the conduct was with um, with the people that the, you know, that Billy Bush was talking about on that tape with the Access Hollywood tape, whatever it was, I think um, there were so many people who also claimed to be Christian legislators who said uh, things like I, I, uh, grabbing someone that, that that's not an assault. You know, in other words, they, they would redefine it. And a lot of these not-so-good Christian evangelicals will buy that. They will listen to that, and they will say, son of a gun, because they wouldn't say it louder than that or with another word. Right. I guess he's okay. He's he's being supported why, by all these people I like so much who are in the halls of Congress. Well, you've been very generous with your time. I want to talk about the special event we're doing tomorrow night. We've been talking with the Reverend Barry W. Lynn. Besides being an attorney and a member of the Supreme Court Bar, he is an ordained minister in the United Church of Christ and has dedicated most of his career and life uh, running Americans United for separation of church and state, taking on members of his own religious community and members of my religious community to tell them to butt out of, just butt out, stay out of this. We don't, you're, 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 this is not what our founding fathers wanted. You have worked diligently. I can't think of anybody who has worked harder to keep religion out of the public square. The Reverend Barry W. Lynn has written a book, it comes out April Fool's Day, it's entitled mm -hmm. Paid to Piss People Off, and it's a trilogy of three books, and Friday night at 8 p.m. from 8 till 9, we're going to do a book launch of the book Porn, which is book two of your trilogy. Is that correct? That is correct. I, I, I will 
mention to people tomorrow where that title came from. Uh, I was originally actually going to call it the Fellowship of the Rings, but then some <laughs> character wrote a book with that name before I got to use it. So I, uh, you know, I had to change it. And luckily, you, a high you, school student helped me out. Yeah, but you you have fought for the rights of Wiccans and witches yep. and porn stars. Yep. Yes, I have. And um, I don't want to give too much away, but I, I will uh, remind particularly people who remember that my uh, spouse, Joanne, Dr. Lynn, um, I, I used to get calls from women in the adult industry occasionally at home. Mm-hmm. And they, they had all kinds of issues, often not even related to uh, to their profession. Um, and I would talk to them and Joanne said to me one day after a phone call, she said, you know, Barry, if you weren't defending their rights, they wouldn't give you the time of day. <laughs> so more stories tomorrow. That, that's, I love the idea of you're married to a doctor, but you're the one who wants to go out and do house calls. Uh, <laughs> See, I never did that. Yeah. And, but you should ask me tomorrow if there was ever a time when I got curious enough not to do anything, but to go to some event where who knows what activity would be occurring. If you remember, ask me that question. I will. And I, I was talking I was talking to a reporter the other day about a comment which you know I'll talk about tomorrow. And and she said, when you she said, when you watch, do you watch the news anymore? And if so, do you, what do you think of it? And when you hear a discussion of the separation in church and state, do you think I could do a lot better than that? Right. And the latter is not true, but um, but the former is. I am obsessed with news. I care about it. I just wish we had more. Right. And that is to say, good news. Well, today we had some good news. Today is good news. Yeah. Let me plug tomorrow. Go ahead. Let me plug. Let me plug to our listeners right now. Go to the description of this episode. If you're listening to this or watching this, in the description is a Zoom link to office hours Friday night at 8 p.m. We will start at 8 p.m. And all you need is you don't even need Zoom. There's a link. You click on that link. It's free. You can, if you don't have Zoom, it, it, you'll be provided phone numbers. You can listen in via phone. And we will talk to the Reverend Barry W. Lynn about not just pornography and, and his work taking on the Mies Commission and protecting the rights of pornographers, We will talk about the true meaning of the First Amendment, because a lot of us forget that the First Amendment is just not about freedom of speech. The First Amendment is freedom from religion, the Establishment Clause. And Americans need to get this drummed into their tiny little brains that The First Amendment and the Establishment Clause specifically says, take your religion in Washington. When you walk into the Capitol, take your religious ideas and put them where the sun don't shine. And I'm not talking about Seattle. 
That is the establishment clause of the First Amendment. Nobody cares what your religion is. Shut up about it when you're in the temple of democracy. And we're going to talk about the First Amendment, and I'll keep trying to talk about pornography, if you'll indulge me in, in your mm -hmm. work. So go to the description of this episode. The link is there. It's free. We're going to talk about the Reverend's new book. It comes out April Fool's Day, Paid to Piss People Off. What a great title for a book. And if you can't see the link, go to my website, hit Office Hours. The link will take you there. Or if you subscribe to my newsletter, it will have the link in there. Get to meet and see and talk to the Reverend, and maybe he'll do... You don't do faith healing, right? No, I don't. Oh, okay. Can you fake it? Yeah, but, uh, but anything else... <laughs> you can't anything fake it. Anything else... I don't. Yeah, I don't exorcise demons. None either, of that but, stuff. Oh, okay. But I did meet. I've met several times the woman who was the stunt double for the woman who played Reagan in the original Exorcist. She's a very short woman. Linda Blair. They wanted to hire her. Well, they wanted to hire her to be Linda Blair's stunt double because Linda Blair was a bit too young to engage in certain activities, one in particular involving okay. a crucifix. Yes. And uh, that's all we're going to say. Okay. But, but she's a delightful woman that, that, that um, was a stunt double. Did you ever think, Linda Blair. did you ever think you would live long enough when Linda Blair would not be the most satanic person, that Tony Blair would be the real <laughs> Satan? Tony Blair is Satan. <laughs> But yeah, I'm gonna. I'll be looking it. into that. Yeah, yeah, I'll be looking into that. I have. Uh, I must attend another Zoom on another yes, matter. Goodbye. But I will. Go. Uh, thank bye you. bye. Thank you. See you well, tomorrow. Let me, thank you. Bye that's bye. that's the Reverend Barry W. Lynn. A gift to the universe. I cannot stress this enough. Come join us Friday night, March thirty first at eight p.m. Eastern for office hours. The Reverend Barry W. Lynn. We'll be discussing porn. That's, I think that's book two in his trilogy, Paid to Piss People Off. And then we will have my old friend, comedian John Ross, will stop by and we'll record an episode of my podcast. So if you'd like to watch us record the podcast, you'll, you'll stick around after the Reverend Barry W. Lynn leaves and it's all free it's all on zoom and you can dial in and watch and listen and join the conversation get to meet the reverend barry w lynn will take your questions so please do that if you enjoyed this episode please share it with your friends the only reason you're listening to me right now or watching this is because a friend of yours copied and then pasted the link of an episode of mine and shared it on social media or through email. So if you enjoyed this, please share it. That's the best way to help me. Please like this. It helps a lot. If you, if you like this, hit the like button and leave comments. I don't answer all the comments. I read every comment. Long time listeners know that I read every comment because 
the comments bleed into the the show. You can tell that the topics we discuss are informed by the uh, the comments. Please subscribe to this. It helps if you subscribe. I think that covers everything. Go to my website, davidfeldmanshow.com, and subscribe to my newsletter. It comes out every Friday night. The link for office hours is either in the description to this episode, or you can find it in my newsletter or over at my website. I'm David Feldman, reminding you to stay strong and protect the weak. Rotten hell, Donald Trump and your entire family of malingerers. It's time for the professors and Marianne. Professor Marianne Cummings is a particle physicist as well as a brilliant artist. Seriously, a brilliant artist. She is also Parks Commissioner, Aurora, Illinois. And Professor Anne Lee is a brilliant writer. You can read her over at the Daily Co's every day. She writes under the handle Annie Lee. And every Night at midnight since Russia's invasion of Ukraine, she does an update on the war. And I always like to, when she's here, like to get an update on the war in Ukraine. I was reading somewhere. I don't know where it was. Oh, I think it was in Foreign Affairs last night, how every war we're promised is going to be over in a matter of days. (laughs) And that even... The war in Iraq that we like to think the first one was over in a matter of days lasted. Uh, it's still, I, it, they, they just voted today to get rid of the war authorization. But kicking and screaming, we're, we're still at war officially with Iraq. What, what, what is happening with the war in Ukraine that was supposed to be over in days? Well, it's always about promising. It's still about money. Um, it uh, well, there's so much to talk about, but we're we're tomorrow is going to be today was uh, day 400 in um, in the war of the mm-hmm. invasion. It's been 400 days since Russia invaded uh, Ukraine, and uh, the, uh, the where the Russians are is at a, at a point where. They don't seem to be in good shape. Um, the regular Russian army and some of their internal fighting has been meant to sort of marginalize uh, Brugosian and the, the Wagner people um, who are being, of course, sent into battle kind of like cannon fodder. Um, but they've reached the point where Wagner uh, troops have done their the, the, the ones who were recruited from prison are have reached the end of their six months contract and some are actually being uh, uh, re- released into regular Russian society, which will be really problematic considering that, uh, well, no, the, the, the guy who killed 50 people, I think got killed in an air attack, but I'm, I'm sure there's some other folks like that who- well, I was reading like the, bar- the the cemeteries that a lot of people are upset that these people are being buried in cemeteries with alongside World War II heroes. 
Uh, yeah, Wagner has their own cemeteries, fortunately, but it's true that some people are being repatriated to uh, non-Wagner cemeteries. But Wagner, uh, as I recall, has its own set of cemeteries. The problem, of course, is counting who really died and who is just sort of missing. There's an argument about that as well. Um, there's going to be a count, a Ukrainian counteroffensive somewhere around April or May, which means that it could really actually happen anytime. Mm -hmm. But they're waiting for weather. It's going to be about weather, whether the, the ground is solid enough to have a major tank offensive, which I think is what's going to happen. Um, I think this counteroffensive, hopefully, or whatever, whatever your position is, it, it it's probably better for the war to end it quicker than let it go on, because at some moment, uh, all of the different stressors are going to be exercised, whether it's resources or military goods uh, of, of all kinds, whether it's airplanes or ammunition. It's it's going to be much worse if it goes on longer. So there's a kind of a front loading of, of various things. The French may give um, uh, Mirage fighters, uh, the Challenger uh, British uh, tanks have arrived and the the Ukrainians have been well trained on them. And uh, I think that's going to be an interesting offensive if it's going to be built around certain types of main of of. Uh, British and German main battle tanks. So it'll actually be very interesting for those people who like following kind of mechanical stuff. Right. Uh, also, um, the air resources have, have sort of freed up all of the discussion for about six months over whether Slovakia and uh, Poland were going to transfer uh, uh, MiG-29s to the Ukrainians because that's their standard air that they 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 don't require extra training for it, and they've been modified so that they have uh, radiation armament. That, uh, this is the uh, um, the harms rockets that will take out Russian radars. So this, it, it, I know this is in the weeds from a detail point of view, but really this counteroffensive it may be the last major um, military struggle of the entire conflict because the Russians will probably not be able to uh, mount another offensive. Uh, and the Ukrainians are kind of at their limit in terms of what they can provide in terms of personnel. So that's kind of where the war is. There's no discussion of, uh, uh, of negotiations because I think it's, it's still about war and, um, uh, and the rest is disinformation. A lot of mm -hmm. uh, there, a, a a subcontractor for the Russians, and they're on uh, that did uh, cyber attacks was just uh, leaked to the West to the Germans, and so that's kind of interesting to see what their cyber attack uh, um, uh, stuff looks like, and it includes material that goes back for a couple of years and their attacks on various uh, other countries. So that's today that was very interesting in terms of security leak and how the Germans are, are sort of looking at it. So that's the kind of the current state of that. Um, there are a few uh, there have been a few um, sort of resistance actions in Russia where uh, factories are sort of 
Catching on Fire, which is sort of interesting and doesn't get talked about a lot. There's very little in the way of street opposition in Russia. They put a, a 10% surtax on any foreign company that now leaves the Russia or leaves Russia, um, you know, because there has been a significant capital flight, which sort of uh, accentuates the sanction situation. It, that, and that whole business of sanctions is made more complicated by, on the one hand, the 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 so-called West or the EU is sort of doing without uh, the kind of gas and oil that uh, the the Russians were getting most of their revenue from, which they still are actually. But the Chinese have sort of picked up the slack and are getting um, uh, a natural gas and oil at a discount, which the the Russians, I mean, there there's a cap that's been put in at about sixty bucks a. Uh, um, a barrel, but it 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 currently is the case that the the Indians and the Russian uh, and the Chinese are picking up the kind of the slack on some um, uh, fossil fuels coming from Russia. So that, but there have been new a new sanction regime, and so that's that's kind of there's going to be a lot of pressure by the end of the year. It's going to be difficult for the Russians, um, especially if they have to go through another winter. This is. Things will be much more desperate. Well, how does it end? Time. Does it 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 does it end like World War Two or World War One? I, I I have to think it ends like World War One. Well, it looks more like World War One relative to the standoff in in the East and the South. But one, I mean, if I were going to put my hope is that you know because I sort of fall on the side of the Ukrainians is that their counteroffensive offensive succeeds and drives the Russians to the table. And so that someone can step in like the UN and put in a ceasefire and a demilitarized zone and all those kinds of things, because at some moment, it's still about money. It's still about, you know, BlackRock and a bunch of other folks. Uh, uh, it, it's about the post-war economy, ultimately. Mm -hmm. It's still that problem. Uh, they, they can't keep doing it this way, partially because there's a major um, I've been listening to a fellow who does a podcast called uh, Inside Russia. And he's talked a lot about uh, the brain drain, uh, about the the million people who from the professional managerial class who have fled to the West from Russia, which is going to affect their industrial capacity for at least the next five to 10 years. It, it, there's going to be a lot of problems. Um now, are we, is America during World War Two? We were the beneficiary of yes. Hitler's brain drain. When you say that exactly. we can get a million members of the professional managerial class, God, I, I look at look at Professor Marianne Cummings salivating over the thought of one million <laughs> more members of the professional managerial class. Yeah, well, I don't know who those guys are, and I kind of like wonder about those numbers too. You know, Russia pumps out more STEM graduates every year than we do, and I can tell you from direct experience, the uh, Russian education in science and math is excellent. Why is that? Um, they put money into it. They don't make people like you know go into debt to get uh, a, a science degree. And by the way, you know. My one of my best students told me flat out that she couldn't stay in in physics. 
she says, I, I can't, you know, wonder from every other year whether I'm going to have a job. I've got student loans to pay off. She went with her boyfriend and works for Chevron. Nice. And I can't blame them. Right. You know, it's like nobody in the world, not just Russia, but nobody in the world, nobody in the world their highly educated people with this level of debt. And so you're not, you know, if you're going to take on this debt, you're sure as hell not going to get a PhD in physics. Unless it's to work for the oil companies, in which case you could go in with a BS degree and start working for the oil company and they'll pay your, you know, higher education and make a ton of money. You know, right. so. Is there yeah, anything yeah. else on Ukraine you have to report? No, I could go on forever, unfortunately, but it it we're still just before one major battle. That's essentially what's going to come up in X number of weeks. We're going to have one big offensive and. We'll see what happens after that. And by um, then, I, the, the Patriot missiles will be installed and the they've been trained here in the States to work those. Well, there's there's been Patriot training in Oklahoma, I think. And uh, uh, this is all from public knowledge. Now, I think that there's actually been a lot more training and stuff going on sub Rosa. So it, it yeah. uh, there will be Patriot missiles. They will be defending Kiev. Uh, essentially, the Patriot missiles are there to protect Kiev. Um, and there's a whole ton of other stuff. You know, when you look at the details, the Ukrainians are not in that good a shape. They, they're they about 60 percent of the different types of missiles that the Russians have are not being stopped by anyone. The The Ukrainians like to crank out a lot of disinformation about how many thing, drones they shoot down. But the fact of the matter is, they're only attending to 20 or 30 percent of the Russian uh, ordinance that's coming in at them. So it's going to be down to some really basic warfare soon, uh, aside from all the usual stories. Right. Um, Professor Ann, do you see this escalating to overt NATO? I mean, actually, regular NATO troops in Ukraine. I know that um, there's a lot of specialists and I know there's American troops there. I mean. Whoever they are, maybe they're Blackwater. Who knows? Uh, well, but, uh, I, I think you're you're correct in, in assuming that there may be some um, not unlike uh, the Vietnam War or the Korean War, where there were Russian, um, you know, Russian uh, uh, pilots were involved in the Air Force. They've already uh, softened the ground um, in interviews with Ukrainian air, uh, members of the Ukrainian Air Force who have sort of talked about foreign pilots being used. So I think there is this, if there's going to be a major offensive and they need to dominate the airspace, I think you're going to see at least um, uh, NATO pilots somewhere involved in there, you know, not being announced. Uh, but, you know, that it's going to happen, I think, in order to uh, generate air superiority because, the Ukrainian Air Force was initially so small relative to the Russian one. And what does that mean if we have NATO soldiers? Well, they're going to have to prove, you know, just like the problem with the Korea. We, you know, you didn't I, I don't think they've ever admitted that there were uh, Russian pilots. Right. I see. And uh, I mean, it, how many decades went on until they admitted that there were you know, Russian pilots here and there and everywhere in various conflicts. So, and, and does it work this way where Americans know 
knew that there were Russian pilots and they accepted it and they didn't want to escalate and turn it into something bigger? That was the that was a story that came out from Vietnam because they knew that, you know, there was you could just tell from the quality of of, uh, you know, the quality of the pilots uh, that that, you know, they had to change tactics. In other words, more standoff and, and no less dogfighting and all that sort of jazz. I think that will happen in um, the case of Ukraine. You'll see more standoff weapons um, and hopefully, you know, uh, NATO pilots won't get captured. That will be the deal. If if nobody gets captured, then who knows? So it, it's it's still a major disinformation campaign. And that's kind of how this war is going to wind up with a lot of weird stories. Don't get captured. Professor Marianne. Well, you know, um, I, I think uh, I'm going back to what Professor Ann uh, said a little while ago. I mean, there are a lot of m people making money off of this war. When we were 10 years into our invasion of the Afghanistan, uh, Julian Assange just basically summarized it. He says, this isn't a war. This is a money laundering operation. Right. This is just sending a bunch of, of tax dollars from several countries into the coffers of, you know, politicians, munitions, manufacturers, Wall Street hedge funds who are funding these things. And, you know, so. Do you think these people are pure evil, the, the war profiteers? They just say money for death. Or do they say, what, war is a constant in nature, better it's here in Ukraine than at home? How do they justify? Oh, I'm, I'm sure all of the above. I mean, in a very... You know, I've been I've been watching a whole bunch of BBC whole BBC uh, dramatizations, actually quite good at low budget of the former English kings and the uh, you know the politics that they had to deal with. And my God, they're all sociopaths at one point. You just sort of have to be, you know. Um, I when I remember twenty years ago getting into a little little fisticuffs with some people because uh, the, uh, the 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 question was, you know, is was Richard III a good king or a bad king? Mm -hmm. I said, well, I think one of the best decisions he made was to kill those kids. <laughs> hey, look, you know. Just, you, in just as a policy in general. You had him in the tower. A, what else do you do with them? Yeah, you, you, can't have, you, you can't have a weak government when your enemies were, you know, and people back then, I mean, when you got overthrown, you got overthrown, you got killed. Your, your head was on a spike or you were hanging, you know, off of the walls of the city. So, you know, people were ruthless. And in, war, in wars, you know, now uh, the king doesn't go out and fight. Uh, you never see the people you kill. The wars are, the, the planning is conducted in state rooms and high-end hotels right. and conference rooms and, you know, with people who are, who themselves probably never was in a cockpit of a fire or fire plane or ever anywhere near a war zone right. now. Unfortunately, and they just look at it like a chessboard going, hey, well, this is great because, you know, sooner or later, you have to test yourself, your stuff. Russia was testing a lot of its stuff in Syria over the last 10 years. So they got an idea about what they have. Right. What last time we had a real tank war was over 30 years ago in Iraq. We don't really know what we have. In other words, we don't know what we have. So it's just this. When you say a tank war, the war between Iraq and Iran. 
No, the, the, the war between us and Iraq in 1991. Oh, I see. Okay. You know, that guy, uh, he's on like Fox News. He seems to actually know something about war. I don't like his politics. Uh, Doug McGregor, he actually yes. got famous for leading a battalion of tanks and taking out basically, you know, a whole huge section of Iraq's tank, uh, uh, tank battalions. And he, uh, anyway, he kind of disobeyed orders, but I guess the field marshal kind of gave him the go ahead. Um, but at least he knows what he's talking about. But that's it. That was like 1991. That was over 30 years ago. In other words, you know, there's no one in the United States military directly that has had the experience of actually being in combat and everything that entails, you know, like you have to get, you, you have to be able to tow tanks away, you have to be able to fix tanks, you have to get supplies, you have to maneuver in windstorms, in mud, in adverse conditions, you have to coordinate with your air defense. In other words, you know, no one has had the direct experience. So it's one thing to have a fancy schmancy tank, it's another thing um, to be able to have experience in the operational arena that, you know, is, is going on right now. And yeah, I mean, maybe, you know, you're going to have holodecks like in the Starship Enterprise in the near future. That'll be so realistic that you don't actually have to kill people to have the visceral experience of, you know, fighting but uh anyway okay, so they're, well, just, they're going hey we get it for free i mean i've heard these words we're getting this for free we're letting the ukrainians do the dying for us and i'm right. sure there's special forces there and everything else but you Pro know professor lee but, i'll give you the last word on ukraine and then we'll it's uh yes i uh, thank you it's it's a throughput problem essentially um for example, Poland and Ukraine are going to have very serious, uh, uh, huge armies at the end of whatever this war is going to be. And the simple example could be that um, old Soviet MiG-29 fighters are being transferred from former Soviet bloc countries to Ukraine to fill out the, the ones that they've lost. And as a matter of throughput, that means that... Uh, America will be making more F-35s and F-18s to sell to Poland and Ukraine and Finland. And um, the, it's just throughput. You, they're just going to make more money. It, it, it's just uh, that's kind of what's going on right now. And in terms of uh, obsolescence, all of the Abrams tanks that are going to go to this theater are not the and I know this is minutia, but the the M1 a2 is the top of the line U.S. tank, but there are a ton of M1A1 tanks that, which don't have all, a lot of fancy electronics, and those are probably the ones that are going to go to Ukraine. They're not as good on the one hand, whatever not as good is, but uh, they're still going to, you know, there's going to be a lot of uh, bloodshed anyway. Okay. Well, the big story, obviously, is in our courtrooms. Gwyneth Paltrow. Won her trial. What do you think? Did she won? Yeah, she's not at fault in the the, the ski crash trial, and uh, took place back well, in 2016. Her her lawyers uh, uh, wore the guy down, right? Because he's older, he's more infirm now, and and uh, it 
it didn't look for I you know he just couldn't afford the law, legal defense I think and so congratulations Although I did like that 3D simulation where you see you know uh, Gwyneth Paltrow falling on top of the guy <laughs> that, that that was kind of cool thank you industrial light and magic uh, <laughs> there's some other something else happened today in the court oh yes yes Donald Trump was indicted <laughs> We have an obligatory, we have to talk about it briefly, Professor Marianne Cummings. Well, uh, I guess season nine of the Trump story is kicking mm -hmm. off in really interesting style. I mean, uh, all right, you know, uh, what do I think of this? I think this is a lot of noise. I'm not sure it's going to hurt Trump in the long run. I mean, he's already been. Might help him. Might actually help him. You know, the only thing that we have kind of as a precedent was the prosecution of John Edwards on basically the same felony. These are felonies because these are uh, campaign finance frauds. Right. And that's exactly what that that's exactly what they tried John Edwards on, because um, John Edwards or at least the. Uh, an aide to John Edwards got um, an old family friend, um, the Bunny Mellon, I guess, of the Carnegie Mellon, Mellon of the Carnegie Mellon fame. Um, she's like two, like a hundred years old, and she and another wealthy donor, I think, combined almost a grand total of a million dollar in hush money to keep. Um, his mistress, who was pregnant with his child at the time of the 2008 campaign. What a bastard. What a dog. Mm -hmm. <laughs> but, you know, whilst his wife is dying of incurable cancer. Right. Right. You know, uh, okay. So, yeah, there's no question what an ex, you know, he was just a terrible human being about that. But, um, you know, the decision to go ahead with his indictment was kind of, at the time was a little, it turned a few heads like, okay, the guy's, first of all, we all know what happened and he lost and we all know what happened because it was the national Enquirer broke that story and they get those things right. And they got it right. I mean, down to the detail. I mean, so it wasn't, you know, I guess the case in terms of what happened was at that point, wasn't in dispute. It was like, does the, do the, does the hush money, paid for by a couple of uh, wealthy benefactors to the Edwards campaign uh, constitute a violation of campaign finance laws, which at that time said individuals could give no more than $2,300 a piece. And if you uh, ruled this hush money as a campaign expenditure, because, you know, uh, it was good for his campaign to keep this all under wraps, then I guess you could make a case. But the bottom line was, uh, you know, the jury basically didn't buy any of this. They, and they, many of them were kind of, you know, later said something like, you know, he's a bad guy, but this is not a good use of the limited resources of the judicial system. You know, he, by, because by that time he was defeated. He had no career. People knew the story, you know, um, and, you know, going through with this was just kind of a waste of public resources. Um, 
And on and on the other hand, Edwards is a smart lawyer. <laughs> so right. he's assembled a good legal team. So the precedence is that. And so I don't know, you know, um, what they think they're going to do. I know that's already highly political. In the well, Edwards case, it was considered political because the the uh, uh, court that it was actually uh, that tried it was North Carolina, and the prosecutors and the judge were Republicans who kind of the Republican Party did not like John Edwards. So, you know, there was just kind of a whiff all through of this being a highly political case. And uh, and he he basically basically got off on all charges. That was right. the bottom line of that. So Professor so that, Lee. That, well that could happen um in the case of Trump, yeah. but I think it got a little more complicated recently because I think the um I don't know who they were hearing uh, uh, in terms of getting David Pecker back in there, but because he was not only a rebuttal witness, but I think that it they've resurrected, I think, the Karen McDougal affair that uh, Trump had, which ran over 10 months, which is a lot more, I think, uh, complicated hmm. than the oh. Stormy Daniels matter. And I think perhaps because uh, Pecker was offered uh, – a partial some sort of immunity deal that they were able to get a little bit more details about what Pecker had in, in his safe and and all that catch and kill stuff. So I don't know. Maybe that's been the effect. There was some uh, blather about that particular thing. It's still about timing. I mean, mm -hmm. I think it's good to get this kind of front end kind of noise out of the way. I agree with uh, uh, with Marianne about the the noise issue here. Because once the Georgia stuff comes through, I think that's going to be a lot clearer what obstruction of justice looks like. Mm -hmm. Whereas this one is, you know, it had problems. That's why it, it sort of failed. They, you know, Bragg didn't move move forward with it a year ago. But I so I think this particular case won't be that revelatory. Um and, you know, he's going to raise money off of the mugshots. Mm -hmm. The mugshots are going to, you know, you're just going to see it in the fundraising. You know, this, and he's going to play the, his sort of bad boy thing. But it, uh, I, I don't know. It's so bizarre now. I mean, that, that he showed his uh, January 6th, uh, 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 he showed, he was proud of the insurrection at his rally in Waco. Right. And I mean, just the fact that it was in Waco was just amazing in yeah. and of itself. Uh, on the anniversary. On the end, yeah. And and it has lots of other nuance that I don't want to yet read into it because I don't have uh, you know facts to back me up. But it it, it is interesting to me that the, um, the one subgroup that broke off from the Unification Church has a compound only 40 miles from Waco. So there's a whole nother thing going on there as well in terms of right wing activity. So uh, but regardless of that, and we'll see more as, as whether we get to a, a, a political campaign, uh, you know, that it's just all noisiness. You know, well, are this as uh, David, as you mentioned, you know, what are the what is the Secret Service going to do in terms of you know, protecting Trump when he's, you know, incarcerated, whatever, at whatever moment he gets incarcerated, if at all. Right. And that that's one problem. So, as I say, I think when it gets to Georgia, I think things are gonna, just going to be a lot clearer and more problematic for Trump. What do you think the reaction is going to be from his minions? 
Oh, there could be but violence. Because millions don't already know about Stormy Daniels. I. Well, I'm talking about, you know, the bikers. The, well, there's just death threats galore. You know, some idiot decided they would send white powder to Alvin Bragg. You know, right. that's just the tip of the iceberg. I mean, this this is just, you know, simple vandalism at one level. But at another level, they're idiots. Well, one guy already. Remember the guy who who stormed the whatever the FBI office in uh, what Kansas or something and got killed um, because this is all there's just crazy people out there. So who knows if Trump goes away? Does this problem go away? The problem of fascism and the, the anti-democratic, you know, owning the libs, the hell with the rule of law. Does it go away with Trump or does it persist? I think it persists when you see that that Idaho now has a new category of something. What is it? Abortion trafficking. They have a new legal category they're trying out. This is just it's getting uglier. It's getting uglier, but there isn't a Reagan-esque, Trump-esque, George W. Bush-esque charismatic leader who can carry them over the finish line. Do you need somebody like Trump to keep this burning? And is DeSantis that person? I don't think DeSantis is. If you take out Trump, you're not going to eliminate racism and the far right conservatism, but are they less of a threat, Professor Marianne? I don't see how they're less of a threat in that now the Democratic Party proper has completely taken over the neocons, the neolibs, the national security state. Dems are cheering the CIA and the FBI. They're okay with expanded surveillance and all. You know, it's just like they keep pushing the political center of, at least in the federal level, further and further to the right. So the only space the Republicans have left are these, you know, real, you know, fringe characters. Um, meanwhile, the rest of the country as a whole seems to be moving to the left in terms of what they want mm -hmm. and what they think is fine. And, you know, it's this kind of like prevailing winds at ground level versus up in the stratosphere or something. It's, it's right. just... Uh, so I, you know, I, there's a famous story about the Georgetown set having dinner when Bill and Hillary took over the White House. You know, Sally Quinn and Ben. Oh, Brett. Sally Quinn. Yeah, that's right. Oh, we don't know those people. Uh, <laughs> they do now. And, and George Will. And they were saying, look what they've done to our Washington, D.C. Oh. Do you remember that story? Oh, I absolutely remember that story. To and, me, that explained everything. I'm sorry. That explained everything. I mean, I could never understand. Even when I got on uh, Forbes on Fox and there was like hey, that crazy guy who was the editor of Investor's Business Daily. We were talking about the collapse at the time, but I sort of said, hey, William O'Neill, like, what the hell was your problem with Bill Clinton anyway? I mean, he was like totally Republican. He was absolutely on board with all of what you want to a degree we know now that we didn't know back and at least people who identified as liberals did, did not appreciate back in the mm -hmm. uh, 
nineties, but they just said, you know, um, yeah, you know, I, he said, and, and actually it wasn't too far from what Hillary once said about that. It was a cultural thing. The, the Clintons were just represented that generation, the long haired hippie, draft dodgers, pot smokers. And, and it, it, it just galled. And they came out of that true, you know, Hillary, of course, wasn't in, if you called Hillary a, a hippie, you didn't know what hippies were. But, you know, Bill definitely, you know, hung around the hippie crowd, I'm sure. And they both adopted at least some nominally very liberal positions. And uh, so I think it was just a visceral cultural reaction to the Clintons that had nothing to do with their actual policies, which were even at the time, pretty right wing, it turns out. So well, it was, you could say that it was the pragmatics of the situation, the kind of Dick Morris sort of business <laughs> that I think Bill took on, you know? What a can-do guy that was. He pumped up old Bill after, <laughs> after his 1994 loss. Right. Oh, good Lord. <laughs> The I kind of have that Sally Quinn, Ben Bradley, George Will reaction when I look at Donald Trump. It's like I anyway, it's how grotesque he is. What Look what he's doing to my Washington, D.C. But is he as big a threat to is he the existential threat to our country that we Considering that the Democratic leadership gave him almost everything he wanted substantially, including expanded surveillance powers and more powers and everything else, the only thing they didn't vote for because they didn't wasn't needed was the uh, tax cuts. I mean, yeah, existential threat. Right. No, he was. I think he was a, a bit of a loose cannon, but believe me, the Democratic Party would would have. Vastly preferred, I mean, the leadership would have vastly preferred a second term of Trump than a president, right. Bernard Sanders. Well, let, let's that is for sure. let's talk about a, a more important story, Donzinger and Chevron. Yeah. And give us a, a bit of a backstory here, because it's a little uh, it's not being okay, covered so, for obvious reasons. Yeah. OK, so, you know. Um, all right. The oil company Texaco, um, now owned from, by Chevron, now on by the, taken over by Chevron. But you know, from two thousand or let's say nineteen sixty four to like two thousand, basically dumped you know some enormous amount fourteen trillion barrels of oil into uh, indigenous lands that are sacred to these tribes in Ecuador, and. Um, he took them to court and won. And um, they, it, was, it was back in, it, he became their lawyer. And I think it was in 2011, an Ecuadorian court entered a something like 18 or $19 billion judgment against, I think by then it was Chevron, that was reduced to like nine and a half billion for contamination resulting from that oil production. Um, and then Chevron sued, Chevron sued Donziger and others in New York, arguing that he and his associate had somehow secured this judgment by fraud. And they, uh, at their own expense and paid this guy like upwards of $2 million, got a judge in Ecuador to like testify in this court. 
uh, in this, which wasn't the court. And this is where I don't understand. And I would like to get somebody, a lawyer like, like Reverend Barry Lynn to explain this to me, how this prosecution was handled. The judge, the, the federal prosecutors refused to prosecute this case. And it was a, so the judge appointed private prosecutors from the law firm that represented Chevron in several other cases. I don't know how that was possible. And they, uh, I guess they sentenced him to like about a year under house arrest, except that they kept postponing the judgment and kept him under house arrest for the entirety of the trial. So he was effectively under house arrest for three years. And nobody, you know, had been held that long on civil charges. And so uh, Donziger basically appealed. his ent- wanted to clear his entire conviction because this was an obvious miscarriage of judge, uh, justice. And it went all the way to the Supreme Court. And the Supreme Court refused, like yesterday, they basically turned it down. They said they refused to even hear it. But there was a couple of, it was like a six to three decision but there were a couple of uh, prominent dissenting voices. Alito, I think, uh, Gorsuch was one of the dissenting voices. I think Gorsuch and uh, Kavanaugh were the dissenting voices, and they dissented basically on legal grounds, like you know, this is blatant conflict of interest, and this is not, you know, not this is not um, legal proper legal order. Now it might be as uh, as a friend of mine had pointed out, you know, many people, the the courts are now handling cases that way. I mean, many, many people who are innocent, especially if they're poor, have been kind of coerced into pleading not guilty, pleading guilty because they just can't afford to be in jail. And if they go through with a trial, they may, first of all, they, they can't make bail. So they have to stay in jail until the trial happens. And then they could be found guilty with an even bigger sentence. So this the courts have been outsourcing judgment to private lawyers for quite a while. And I think maybe Gorsuch and Kavanaugh were just kind of unaware of this, but uh, nonetheless, it, it, it's appalling. It's, a, it's appalling, and uh, I don't know where the is here, but, um, you know, um, this is, but when, you know, you have a, when you have a, a government, we have the politics captured by corporations, then it just seeps all into every level, level of your judi- judicial system, every level of your regulatory systems, every level of your fi- financial institutions. Um, yeah, we're, uh, we're in bad shape. Yeah. Wouldn't, wouldn't you say that uh, his case got more complicated because of the, not unlike Assange, the changing government in Ecuador? that that kind of made it more complicated? Um, I think the fact that, every, uh, okay, so that was the judgment, but I think the Donzinger's case, you know, he was, um, he was, Severon Don, sued Donzinger in, in, in uh, New York federal court. I mean, so that part of the case, of course, you know, the, uh, the Ecuadorians, of course, have not seen a penny of their settlement. So that might, that might be the case, that that is complicated. Probably never see any of that money, no doubt, unless there's a radical change in our government. But right. um, this was the, specifically the case against Donziger. 
himself, you know, on charges of fraud. And, you know, like, I think he, they were accusing him of ghostwriting a key environmental report and bribing the presiding judge, which they brought up. And the guy was clearly lying. But, you know, that's that's what was just so wild about this case. Ugh. Yeah, very disappointing. It's frustrating. And I, I applaud. But you know what? That is he's getting a lot of airplay now. He's getting a lot of attention. He's now a free man. But. You know, I think he's been disbarred, though, because of his conviction. Yeah. Before you go, uh, Professor Lee, what are you reading for pleasure? <laughs> I, I, I read uh, <laughs> what I'm currently reading is uh, for uh, uh, some stuff I'm doing online. Um, George Lukash's uh, History and Class Consciousness. And I'm I'm. Uh, uh, sort of backstopping a uh, an online uh, kind of uh, uh, seminar that uh, David Harvey is running on Karl Marx's Grundrisse. So that's kind of what I read. I I don't have any pleasurable reading. <laughs> okay. Oh no! You, then you then you should read Professor Mike Steinel's book. That, that read is, yes that, yes I that I should uh, that is actually on my that list. is a I'm, great. I'm, read. I'm quite intrigued by the music, the, the fact that music is right. available with the text itself. Right. And of course, paid to pe piss people off. Indeed. Uh, uh, which we'll be doing at office hours Friday night. Thank you, Professor Marianne. Follow Professor Marianne on Twitter at Razor Girl. Thank you, Professor Ann Lee. Read her every day over at the Daily Co's at Annie Lee. Thank you both. Thank you, okay. David. Thanks, David.